This podcast is for a mature audience only. Bye. Hello, welcome back, Soul Family. In this episode, I am joined with Paul Philippe. Paul lives in Australia, and we actually met on a Facebook group, and we began to chat about his healing journey, and I asked him to come on the podcast to share, and he happily agreed to do so. In this episode, we talk about his life as a kid with a mother who really abused him both physically and emotionally. He eventually turned to alcohol and was also on a a bunch of different medications. He attempted suicide a couple of times. Eventually, he took psilocybin mushrooms with the purpose of escaping, but sort of to his surprise, what he actually found was his own discovery and healing. So I do want to add a trigger warning on this episode. You know, Paul does discuss some topics that are related to addictions and some suicide attempts and, you know, the the child abuse. And I just want to give that as a warning. But um, I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Super special. And I hope you can learn from it. So without further ado, here is Paul's story. Paul, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your your time and your devotion and your vulnerability to share your story. You know, like I mentioned to you before, I um, I watched your video that you were featured in on YouTube. Um, and I was really sh- just kind of, uh, brought back to, um, kind of my story a little bit too, but, um, I really felt this connection with you as I was listening to that video and watching it. And it, it almost brought a tear to my eye, you know what I mean? And because I really have a lot of compassion for people that are going through a lot of hardships traumas and, and abuse or whatever my addictions, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, I'm really glad that you can be vulnerable, that you're in a place now that you can be open to share your story and to hopefully help others on their journeys. Right. So, yeah. um, so once again, thank you so much for being on and, um, I can't well, wait. Thanks to- for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and this is something new for me because I, I've never spoken to somebody that's in the future, right? Because you're in Australia, so you're about what, yeah. like 30, 30 hours ahead of me, right? <laughs> so this is the first time for me, but I, I, I couldn't be more excited, man. So, um, so why don't we start off um, with you introducing yourself, uh, maybe talk about where you were raised, what you do in your, in your life, and things like that. Yep. Um, so my name's Paul. Uh, 40, I'm 45. I have uh, two beautiful children. Uh, I have a beautiful fiance, and we're actually getting married at the end of this month. Oh, right. Um, Congratulations, man. Yeah, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I've only been outside of Australia twice. Um, I came to the US when I was about 12, um, and then a couple of weeks in. Uh, over in Europe, in the UK and, and Spain uh, in 2019 before the world shut down. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I'm a, I'm a design engineer by work, okay. um, which, which I find really interesting, but I am sort of moving towards getting into, like, mental health, uh, you know, hopefully going to start some sort of study nice. this year. 
um, to move into that because uh, I sort of feel like, uh, I guess, uh, again, you know, I don't know if it's the right word, but I sort of feel like an obligation. Uh, I feel like I've been given all of these gifts and I feel like I've been given a life to help me understand the struggles and it feels uh, it doesn't feel right to just sit behind a desk for the rest of my working life and cash a paycheck. That, that seems pretty, uh, well, not being true to myself, but then not also <clears throat> acknowledging giving back, you know, for the beauty that, that's sort of been given into my life in the last sort of five or six years. Yeah, so true. it feels like the only way to, to sort of move forward. That's amazing. That's really cool of you. Good, good, good on you, man. Yeah. So I'm pretty pretty excited about that change. Um, yeah, just really excited to connect with people. And yeah. I think one of the biggest things sometimes is just for people, when people can understand that they're not alone, that, they, that, that, that what they're going through isn't, well, okay, every one of us are unique um, and, and the colours and, and the filters of our experiences are all unique. But so many of the the stories and, and that underline our unique experiences are similar. Um, and, you know, we're all in the middle of uh, living this crazy world, with, you know, which is just high pressure and, you know, basically keeps us on edge. You know, we're all in fight or flight mode, you know. Yeah. About waking hours because of how everything works. And so to just share with people at, that where I've been, you know, and being at the bottom and, and through addictions and things and just to be able to share that, hey, I've come out the other side you know, yeah. and, and that people can do that and people can achieve it. And I guess for me, um, what I feel that my story is is a story of hope and, and hope is, is so important. Um, you know, when, you, when you're struggling, when things seem hopeless, yeah, hope is hope is a beautiful thing. I've had similar experiences, sort of like you, um, to a different level, of course. Like you said, we're, we all have our, our own unique parts of our life and, and different struggles and things. But like you said, um, you know, I, I feel much like you in that I feel like it's sort of my duty or responsibility to to share with other people what I've gone through to to give people that hope, just like what you said. You know, yeah. and and it, and it would be a shame for for me or for one to not do that. Yeah. To just keep it into yourself and not tell anybody, and then you're really not helping anyone else or society, and it's really keeping that stigma or that taboo still a taboo, right? Yeah. And, well, well uh, we're a tribe, we're a community, you know, and whether yes. that be with the people that live around you, whether that be in the country you're in, or whether that be on a global, uh, you know, in a global sense these days, and. We're all, well, I know all is a broad word, but the majority of us are struggling. The majority of us are having problems. And it doesn't, there's no sort of comparing of stories, you know, in the sense of, oh, that person's had it worse or that person's had it easier because it's our experience. Yeah, exactly. Whatever we've been through is is our hardest experience. And, you know, it's sort of, it sort of disrespects ourselves because, you know, we are sort of told, oh, okay, you've had it hard, but this person's had it worse and that person's had it worse. 
yeah, which which invalidates um, what we've had as our own experiences. So it's really important for us to acknowledge each other and, you know, never sort of say to someone, oh, well, it's not that hard. You haven't got it that tough. Like, you know, it's not disrespectful to, to that person's emotions and their feelings and their experiences. And, you know, so it, it's just really important to sort of share that and, and to share of ourselves, you know, yeah. and, and to share our hearts. Like we're, you know, social media, everyone's so willing to share their opinions. Right, um, right. You know, whether it's based in fact or whatever uh-huh. it may be. Sure. It's so, so few people are willing to share their hearts because it seems to me, looking at it, so few people share their hearts with themselves. Um, you know, so it's sort of important that we try and, well, you know, create a change where people feel safe yeah. to share their hearts. And, and I guess I see that as one of the positives um, that has come out of this whole experience in the last what is it, nearly two years. Mm. I'm seeing more people, because we are sh- having a shared trauma experience, I'm seeing more people willing to say, I'm struggling because, because they know others are struggling. So it is starting to create a bit of an atmosphere where people sort of feel safe to be a bit vulnerable because they know that other people around them are vulnerable and they know that they can share that vulnerability without being, you know, slapped down for it. Other people are like, yeah, I know, like I'm, I'm struggling too. And I think that's really beautiful for people to connect with that um and you know it's it's a dream that you know a dream for me is for people to be able to connect through vulnerability um and and the strength of being vulnerable oh definitely vulnerability is a strength you know we're we're told it's a weakness but to sit there open-hearted and say i'm in pain i'm suffering you know, I'm, I'm not doing well. Um, and, and for all of the stigma that that creates um, and because other people are feeling it so strongly, they're willing to, more people are willing to acknowledge that rather than step away from it and try and deny their own feelings, you know. So look, obviously there, there are a lot of negative aspects about the last few years and the experiences we've been through, but it's easy to focus on the negative it's always uh, i try and focus on what what are the positive aspects of this yeah you know and if one of the positives people can share their vulnerability people feel more willing to talk to their pain um and to talk to this trauma that we're all collectively going through maybe that's a gift maybe that's the biggest gift of this experience i think so i I agree i agree and that's a thing like that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like you said, man, vulnerability is, is a powerful gift, you know? And for me, I growing up, I would always keep things in, right. Yeah. I would always, and maybe that's, um, more of like a man, a man thing, right. In in society, like men aren't supposed to cry. Men aren't supposed to show their weaknesses or, or whatever. Right. So for me, um, yeah, I would always hold in my, my pain, keep it to myself. Yeah. You know, there, there'd be times where I wouldn't even tell my own wife. Right. And, um, but over the past, you know, f- few years, I've been able to open up and 
just let that go and surrender myself to the, the, any situation that I'm going through, um, yeah. whether it's depression or anxiety or fears or, or work stuff or whatever it is. And I've, I've found personally that it's been like you've mentioned already a really powerful strength and a gift that not only has helped me, but has helped my, my wife, my family, um, other friends around me. And, you know, it's my hope that as people see people like you and I be more vulnerable, that they could also be vulnerable themselves. Yeah. I, I think it takes, sometimes it takes one person to, to step up on the line and say, I've been through addiction or I've been through whatever it is. And then it, allow somebody else to open up and feel comfortable to express what, what they're going through or what they've gone through. You know, yeah, so I, like, I think you hit on it as well. Um, the fact that as men, and, and I feel from the time that we're young boys, mm-hmm. that there is a, a, a lot of, um, a lot of pressure in, in what a man is supposed to be. And so much of what we're told a man is supposed to be is so incorrect. You know, we're, we're supposed to be, like, strong and we never experience emotions. Yeah. Yeah, we don't talk about feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little technical difficulties, but that's okay. <laughs> it's, still, uh, it's still pretty impressive when you consider that we're on opposite sides of the world. <laughs> it, it really is, man. I mean, we, this wouldn't have been able to be a thing 20 years ago, <laughs> right? Oh, look, I, I can still remember um, making phone calls to the US when I was a kid, and we had mm. to call the operator and oh, wait by yeah. the phone for four or five hours for oh, a, wow. connected. And if the phone number was engaged, you had to mm. start the process again so and, and plus awful. and plus it would cost a lot of money right yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that's crazy well um i'm glad that i'm glad that we could uh get back on um yeah, so I, I i i'm sorry that we i'm trying to remember what we were talking about last but um i think we we're just talking about um you know like the the pressures around being a male right and, right and the, you know the messaging that we get sure um and I guess that's something I definitely feel drawn towards is doing, um, you know, like working with other men. Yeah. And, you know, because I believe that, um, you know, the, the strength that men have is a strength to be vulnerable and, you know, a strength to love, um, you know, a strength to be soft. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, okay, yes, a man is, physically strong um but so much of the strength comes from from inside of our hearts yeah and and when we connect with our own hearts when we connect with our own vulnerabilities uh it means that we have even more space emotionally to be able to be emotionally strong for those around us for those that we love about for those of us that we care about so yeah i think that's something that that's really important, you know, and I've been a part of like one or two men's circles, you know, both online and in person, and they've been beautiful experiences, you know, to, to, to bring men together to feel vulnerable to cry. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is so powerful. Like it is. You know, there's so many stress hormones and everything that are released through crying. Like, you yeah. know, I, I've watched, you know, women that I know in my life who have done that over the years and they can be so upset and then they cry. And then five minutes later, they're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot, a lot of times it takes that, 
that emotional um like um energy to be released in order to, yeah. to to get on with whatever it is that you're feeling and then you end up feeling happier and more energized and you feel a, a burden off of your shoulders right um, yeah well it's like releasing the dam you know the yeah the, yeah up and then you've just got to like let it out yep and um you know it's it's a beautiful experience to go through yeah it is yeah for sure. Well, hey, let's let's jump into um, your story, man. You know, um, I don't know where you want to start, but you maybe you want to start as as a kid. I'm I'm assuming. Um, yep. I know you, I know you have a pretty uh, interesting and, and intense story of, uh, of being a child and what you've been through. So why don't you go ahead and um, start wherever you want and say whatever you want to say. Okay. Well, I, I guess probably like everyone else, um, my story starts. So far back up the the ancestral bloodline, <laughs> sure, <laughs> I mean, who sure. knows where it begins? Yeah, and you know the how the cycles of trauma travel down the family bloodline, and um, you know my my mother was um, a, a child born from my grandmother being raped, um, and my mum went through you know so much trauma as a child, um, you know like I. God, I, I can't even appreciate like what what she sort of suffered. But obviously, then when I come along, um, here's this extremely damaged woman who you know hasn't been able to like talk about trauma or you know yeah. have support through through hers. And so, as a an extension of her self hatred, you know, it, it become abuse. Um, and I think with me being a boy, because um, so much of her trauma had come at the hands of males, it, it, you know, it was just sort of a natural progression. And, you know, it was, it was quite extreme um, abuse pretty much across all, all spectrums. You know, I think I was hospitalised for the first time at about three weeks old, you know, being wow. thrown at the wall because I wouldn't mm. stop crying. Wow. And, um you know, then the abuse just progressed from there. And, you know, we used to have like what I called the programming sessions, you know, which which was part of my mum's self-talk in her own head, but then she'd project it onto me where like sitting in a room on the floor um, and she would repeat things, like say, make statements and then I'd have to repeat them. Like, you know, everyone hates you. How could anyone love you? You know, you're disgusting. And then I'd have to repeat those and then I'd be hit as you know as these sort of things would happen um so it was really uh yeah it was really intense so i had like so all of my my early mental programming was all you know so negative um like even when i was would feel happy or achieve something as a kid you know it was like these voices the voice in my head internal dialogue would just be oh but you're an idiot you know you're stupid no one love you everything you do is wrong everyone hates you um so then even like after my mum passed away when I was um 16 you know oh sorry take a step back so you know when my dad died when I was 10 and my mum went into like this sort of deep catatonic state of of depression where she'd spend most days just sitting on the couch staring at the floor and you know so I was like 10 and 
so there's only a level you can understand it. And I'd be like, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? And when she would speak to me, she'd just look at me with this hate in her eyes and say, well, you should have died, not him. Like, I love him, not you. And wow. so all that sort of reinforcement. And then, you know, when mum passed away when I was 16 and, um, you know, I, I went into like these mindsets of I should have been a better son while I wasn't I there for her. But, but she, um, she had quite bad cancer, you know, and okay. Yeah, so there was like these experiences of like laying there at night listening to her screaming in pain. And what kind of cancer did she have? Um, well, it started off as I think like ovarian cancer. Okay. Um, and she spent years going to the doctors and they just kept telling her she was a hypochondriac and nothing was wrong with her. Um, and then after about three years of seeing doctors, she finally found one that did the right tests or the right scans or whatever it may have been. And Mm. by that time it had sort of moved right through her body, you know, so she was going through the chemo and, but she'd have chemo once a month and for three to three and a half weeks after the chemo, she was pretty much bedridden. She'd start to be able to get out of bed for three or four days and then it'd be time to go back in. And, but yeah, so I'd listen to her at night, like, you know, screaming in pain and I'd flip between tears of sadness of listening to my mother suffering to then, um, feelings of satisfaction to listening to her suffer because of everything that she'd done for me. So then again, that creates like more inner turmoil and, and, you know, more ammunition for my brain to say, you're a horrible son, you know, how, how could you do this? And then mum mum passed away when I was 16 and um yeah you, you know I, I lived with a family member for I think maybe eight months after that um who was involved in let's just say a lot of illegal activities and, and I was put in like this not <laughs> definitely not a great place for a, for a teenager to be in yeah um and then after that, I, I ended up homeless for a while um, before sort of, you know, getting into like this boarding house situation. And then um, eventually I did find what was considered like a, a supported accommodation um, housing where, you know, I had like a, a counsellor and stuff that I'd speak to. But I guess everything was just so crazy then that, you know, these people were trying their best, but I sort of went through this revolving door of cancelers, you know, as people come into this. And um, the first couple were great, but then I started to get um, people that were like fresh out of their course or fresh out of school who hadn't really been through, you know, these deep traumatic experiences. And they'd ask me about my story and I'd start to tell them, and then quite often it would end in me comforting them as they cried, listening to what I'd been through. So I was like, well, I'm not going to tell them anymore, you know. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, sure. And and so I had, um, you know, like as far back as I could remember as a child, like there was always like, you know, suicidal thoughts. Um, I tried to commit suicide for the first time, I think, when I was about seven in seven, school. Wow. Yeah, like. Wow premeditated, took a skipping rope from the equipment, the sports equipment for mm. recess, like playtime, 
um, went out to a tree, tied around my neck, jumped out of the tree. Um, and one of my schoolmates actually happened to come along and like hold my legs and lift me up. Okay. Like, well, okay. I was like untied. Wow. And, and what, let me, I, let me, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to ask you this question. As your friend was holding you up, what was coming to your mind? Do you remember what you were like? Were you grateful for that? I, or were you like, don't, want, don't hold me? No, I didn't want to die. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I felt like as soon as I felt that choking, you can't um, it was like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't it, want this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I, another attempt at 16. Um, you know, another attempt, I think it would have been in my early thirties. Mm. Um, and, and just those sorts every day, like it, it wouldn't even take much. Like I could be doing a simple task and something would go wrong and my brain would automatically go into, well, I don't care. I don't want to be alive anyway. I'm just an idiot. And, and it didn't take anything major for that to happen. You know, like I could be pouring a drink and spill some of the drink on the bench and, and that, oh, wow. that, that, that would trigger. Know, yeah. Yeah. That would trigger that sort of, sure. you know, like thought patterns in my mind. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was really painful. And I had, you know, so I, the way I sort of got myself through my teenage years and my twenties was I'd make these agreements with myself of, um, just have fun for the next six months and then I'll kill myself in six months time. And that, you know, that sort of took like a feeling of pressure off my shoulders. Cause it's like, Oh, there's an end, there's an end inside. And then I'd get to that six months and I'd be like, oh, okay, now well, let's, let's make it another three months. And, and as, as morbid and dark as that sounds, that was actually, you know, I reflect back on it. It was like this mechanism of keeping me alive. Yeah. Definitely make an agreement of death. Yeah. Um, and that kept, that kept me going, you mm. know, that kept me sort of like plugging along and, you know, I, I was able to sort of, you know, work and get myself into like a really, you know, a senior role in a really big company. And um, I guess from the outside, I had everything that, you know, people sort of say, you know, I had the wife, I had a child, I had the house, I had the company car, I had the big paycheck. Um, but I was desperately unhappy. Like, you know, just just so unhappy and bottling it up and just, you know, going on and off pharmaceuticals and, you know, talking to counsellors and all that. But I found... Um, and I say this with, with the, the utmost love and respect, um, but I found so many of the counsellors I went through were either unprepared from their own life experiences to, to deal with trauma or they were so deep still in their own trauma um, that that would end up coming across in the session. You know, I, oh, I, see. I had a lot of times where we'd end up speaking about their own trauma and, and, and maybe not consciously, but I'd bring something up and then they'd spend the next 15 minutes talking about experiences. Wow. That wow. Yeah. But, that's... but not in a sharing sense. It was almost like I was triggering them to just go into their trauma talk. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, found that, um, yeah, I sort of gave up on that. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, it, I mean, therapists aren't really supposed to get personal and share, share their stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, I, I don't blame you, man. I mean, I've had a couple of therapists myself. I've never had them open up about their personal life, but if they did, I would probably stop seeing them. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely don't blame you for, for doing that. It wasn't in a sharing context of, oh, okay, well, you know, you've shared this, but let me tell you a little bit. Um, you know, it was like I triggered something in them and then all of a sudden they went into, oh, 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 oh. you know, oh, it was like okay, okay. triggering their, their, their trauma responses. And maybe right. that was a self-defense mechanism sure. um, because I was telling them some, you know, some pretty full-on stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, so I sort of, I sort of gave up on that and, you know, I got to a point where uh, I started drinking and, and I, I never, I, I knew as even as a teenager and, and early 20s with everything I was going through, I always knew that I should stay away from alcohol um, because there was alcohol issues in my family and, and drug dependency issues. Um, but then with work, I'd go along to these senior management, you know, work functions and we'd drink. And it felt nice. Yeah. Like I was talking to people and I felt, you know, artificially happy and right. things right. great. And um, and then before I knew it, I couldn't remember the last day I hadn't been drunk. And mm. it just progressively got worse, you know. And, and I'd like, you know, get home after work and then say I was going to the shops to get stuff to cook dinner. And in that 45-minute trip, um, to go and get dinner, I'd shoot off to the bottle shop and buy like four pre-mixed cans and skull them and then get home and basically fall through the front door. Uh, somehow managed to cook dinner, but then by that point, my stomach was so full of alcohol, I didn't want to eat and, and just kept this cycle. And then I decided that I was going to quit my job so I could focus on being a full-time alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And um, I broke up with my then wife, uh, started living in my car and and my head and my thinking was so messed up I actually thought this was fantastic because I was living in my car I had an esky you know a cooler box I could keep alcohol stocked up in there I could wake up at three in the morning drink myself into oblivion go back to sleep at 6 30 in the morning and just repeat and yeah. um it was just this really crazy crazy cycle and um, I met this, this other woman and, um, you know, after about three weeks, she said to me, look, I don't really want anything to do with you anymore, but you need to get yourself into a rehab because you're going to kill yourself. And um, something in me at that point took that on board and, and I went into like this detox facility for, I think it was about seven or ten days. Um, and... I think I lasted about 55 days after I got out, you know, without drinking. And but then I started again. And I think uh, that went on for a couple more years. And then I fell to like this really rock bottom place. And it was like, if I don't make this work this time, it's done. And so I went into the detox facility and, and that was almost eight years ago now. And I haven't drank since then. And good for you. Um, man. Yeah, it's been it's been really awesome. And 
but then, you know, I was like going to the doctor and he put me on to a, um, a psychiatrist and they had me on these naltrexone, which was to stop my drinking addictions. Mm. And then they put me on to um, anti-anxiety medication and antipsychotic medication and antidepressant medication. And I'd see this psychiatrist and not he'd never ask me, oh, are you exercising? Are you eating okay? Are you talking to anyone? He just asked me about the medication. And regardless of what my answer was, he'd up my medication. And he tried telling me to start taking this antipsychotic medication in the morning before work, even though I was telling him that it knocked me out and made me go to sleep within half an hour to 45 minutes of taking it. And his, his answer to that was, Take it just before you get in the car to drive to work. And that oh. way you don't fall asleep oh while you're driving. Well, yeah, sure. And I just shut up and agreed. But obviously, I didn't take it in the morning, you know, because I knew obviously turning up at work right. and then falling asleep at my desk wasn't, you know, wasn't um, going to be suitable at all. And yeah, so he just kept upping my dose, upping my dose. And I guess, you know, through addiction and that, I've, I've become addicted to the antipsychotic medication because like more emotionally addicted to it because I, all I'd think about all day while I was at work was getting home to take that pill and it would knock me out and um, send me into these really lucid dream states where my dreams become more like my real life and my waking hours become more like a dream. Interesting. Well, the the interesting thing is talking to a psychiatrist, you know, maybe like a year or two ago, he said, well, because you weren't actually psychotic, giving you antipsychotic medication actually induces psychotic, you know, behaviours. Wow, yeah. So it was like they were giving me a medication for something I wasn't suffering from to induce the behaviours of that. that That's making, making everything worse pretty much. They, they were making it worse. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was, you know, I, I remember one point um, I slept for something like 55 hours. Oh, wow. And I'd wake up, just pop another pill and go back to sleep. Wow. Were you, let me ask you this question. Um, was one of those medications um, called Seroquel? Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That was, that was the one I became. Yeah. Yeah, addicted to. Yeah, yeah. So, would you say that um, after, because at this point you had stopped drinking, right? Yeah. Okay. So, would you would you say that you sort of transferred your sort of addiction from alcohol to the medications and and yeah yeah okay is that fair to say okay swapping one for the other and and I'd also smoked like you know cannabis quite regularly. so that, you know, that become like the level of smoking, you know, rose as well. So I was like taking antipsychotics, anti-anxieties, antidepressants, smoking a ton of cannabis. I had a terrible diet um, just of takeaway food every night, ice cream, lollies, you know, because like on the antipsychotics, I found I craved sugar. Um mm-hmm. I used to buy blocks of chocolate to have beside my bed when I went to sleep because wow. I used to eat during my sleep. Oh, wow. I would wake up in the morning, like, you know, with my face and chocolate stuck to the pillow. <laughs> wow. And the whole chocolate gone. 
and I had a really sedentary life. I wasn't moving much at all. Mm. Um, I put on like probably 30 kilo mm. and it's just really unhealthy. And, and, and the thoughts of um, the suicide and not wanting to be here, they never went away, like even with all that medication. And um, so it, it sort of happened that I'd come across a local park that was really close to where I was living where mushrooms were growing. And I just looked at the mushrooms to start with when, you know, when I went out to pick them, I'm like, well, here's just an awesome, another, another drug to escape reality. That's what I was, you know, that, that was my goal. I'm like, okay, cool. So we picked a we picked a fair amount um, for that first night, and I ate quite a considerable amount, and it changed my life in that first night. Um, you know, I mean, we can okay. So in my mind, I was having a conversation with, um, let's say, the the intelligence of of, of the mushroom and. Um, you know, in this conversation, I was told that, well, the biggest problem that you face is the fact that you want to die every day and you're not living, you're just surviving. And tonight we're going to take away all of your suicidal thoughts and you're never going to have to deal with those again. But now your challenge is to learn how to live rather than survive. And I can say that that was close on five and a half, six years ago, and I've never had to deal with a suicidal thought again since that night. Um, And, you know, also in that experience, I saw my grandmother just as real as I would see any person in front of me in my normal day, and we spoke for about two hours. She explained to me about generational trauma, everything that my mother had suffered, um, why things had happened the way they happened. And then I spent an hour talking to my mother and um, was able to, to forgive her and like come to some sort of closure around, around some of that pain. Yeah. And, and, you know, I reflect on that night, that first experience um, a lot. And, okay, so I look at it regardless of whether I was talking to her to an, uh, an intelligence in nature or whether that was my brain doing its own thing. It actually sure. doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. It doesn't matter what it was, you know, and, but this process that played out, I, I went through like 20 years of, of awesome cancelling in eight hours. And, and it was like pinpointing all of these okay, this, this guy's got issues, mother issues, you know, abuse issues, trauma issues. First of all, we've got to get him to, to forgive his mother. You know, it was like bang, 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 bang. It was, wow. You know, it, it was amazing. And, and regardless of what it was, if there was no intelligence of the mushroom and that was all going on in my brain, then I have a far deeper respect for what the human mind is capable of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And but the, I do also believe that this was an interaction with, intelligence in nature yeah you know? no I for believe sure this was something outside of myself and um it changed my life 
Like in one night, mm. in one night, like you know, all that pressure was taken off my shoulders. And, and how, did that, how did that make you feel? The, like that next day or maybe that, maybe as your, your journey was ending? Um, excited, scared. Mm. Um, I was scared in the sense of, it was almost like starting over again. Yeah, like maybe like um, not knowing what to do, perhaps. Well, yeah, because I'd been sure. in survival mode. I'd spent yeah. thirty years that fight in or flight, mode. fight or flight mode, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Responding to stimuli, like mm, yeah, oh, 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 like ah, right. you know, just sure. making it each day to get to bed mm. to escape into sleep, mm. and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, what do I want to do? Yeah. Like, I want to do with my life? What do I want to be with my life? How do I want to respond to these things? Um, and, you know, there was this really quite intense journey over the next two years of like rewriting the operating system that was going on in my brain. And, you know, I, I did a lot of, uh, a lot of walking um, and, you know, sometimes 25, 30 Ks a night you know, both, both on, you know, both being on mushrooms and being sober and really like digging down into all of these beliefs that I had, all of this self-talk. Um, and I would find new ways of thinking or new ideas of what I might like. And, you know, for them to only change again in three months, um, it was like this real sort of learning process about, well, almost learning what's it like to be a healthy human. Like, what's it like to have a healthy relationship with my emotions? What's it like to um, try and deal with my trauma in a healthy way? What's it like to actually stop and listen to my inner child? Like, you know, share their fears and share their, you know, everything that, that I'd been through. Um, and, and I was in a relationship at that point with, uh, with a different lady. And, you know, it was dysfunctional because we've both come together as alcoholics and addictions and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I, I felt my emotions more and I wanted to try a a different way of of doing things, but it, it it had a dysfunctional, you know, base It had a dysfunctional foundation. Um, so like we ended up breaking up and, actually went through this really, really beautiful experience of heartbreak. And I think what made it so beautiful was the fact that I just owned it and I felt it and I allowed myself to like be on my knees in my lounge room, breathless, crying, um, just experiencing all of this hurt. And it was beautiful. It, It was truly beautiful because I felt this deep pain because of the fact that I love someone. I felt this deep pain because of my connection to someone outside of myself. And I was able to experience that without retreating into self-defense mechanisms of I'm going to die anyway. It was like, no, I want to live and I'm going to have to deal with this pain. And and I believe that every time my heart breaks, it actually allows my heart to heal back even larger to experience a deeper level of love. You know, in the same theory as you go to gym 
And when you lift weights, your muscles are actually tearing and that's what allows them to become stronger, you know, and the heart and the emotions work the same way. And it was a really, really beautiful experience and um, it taught me a lot. And I decided, you know, I, I sort of told myself, oh, look, I will probably be like single for the rest of my life, but I'm not willing to compromise in a relationship. Um, it has to be right. I have to have the right person. I'm not interested in arguing. I'm not interested in resistance, you know. Uh, and then however long it was after that, I met my amazing fiance, you know, Emma, and it's just been amazing since the start. Like, you know, we've, we've been together nearly three years. Um, we've never had an argument. Um, we've never had raised voices at each other. We, I think because we both come together with this deep love of each other, that when anything is said that could be thought of as confrontational or whatever, it's not seen that way because I know that she loves me. Yeah. That whatever she must be saying is for my benefit. Mm-hmm. Whatever yeah. she must be saying is because of love and concern for me. So, like, it allows us to work together as a team. We don't, like, have to have those spar-offs and those defensive, you know, positions. Right. And and that's been um, really beautiful, you know. And and since, you know, that, that sort of, you know, journey of self-healing, it's allowed me to be a better father. Um, it's allowed me to be, you know, a, a, a better father to myself. Um, and, I, and I think in, in that process of learning how to be a nurturing, caring, loving father to my inner child, that teaches me how to be a better, caring, loving and nurturing father to my children. That's beautiful. It, it is a really beautiful process. Yeah. You know? And it's been amazing and and I guess what I love about it is there's so much of it which is sort of like this outwardly spiraling cycle in this in a positive sense where you know I've dealt with a lot of these traumas I've dealt with a lot of these experiences um but then it sort of circles back around where I deal with with similar stuff but but in a, a deeper healthier way and I yeah. guess that just works out the sense it was, you know, 39 years of trauma and, you know, so it sort of comes back around. And, sure. and, and it's quite funny at times because I, I was sitting there the other night and I was realising that I'm nervous about our wedding. And I was a little bit hesitant to say that to my partner. I'm like, I'm a little bit nervous about this. And she's like, sure. oh, that's, that's normal. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah, of course. But, it's like this this ongoing um, deepening of my relationship with my own emotions and my feelings, and mm, yeah. you know that that at times it's um, to learn to be comfortable in being uncomfortable. Yes, like, mm. and it's okay with all of this crazy stuff that's going on in the world at the moment to sometimes be like, I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's that's okay. That's like, okay. That, yeah, definitely. That doesn't mean I'm broken. That actually points to the opposite it means like this level of healing because i can sit with those feelings um and not need to escape from them you know and and so it's this really sort of like um 
beautiful process and, and understanding that it's like this lifelong relationship with myself and how that keeps growing, how that will keep expanding. And, and sometimes it means doubling back on things and, and being like, oh, I thought I dealt with that. And it's like, well, yeah, you dealt with these sections of it. And now we're sort of going past to, to you know, deal with It's like I've done all the vacuuming and the mopping in the houses and I've wiped down the walls, but then sometimes I've got to come back because I've got to wash the windowsills. Or, sure. Do some more uh, detail work, yeah. Yeah, or move the couch mm-hmm. out so I can vacuum behind that. You know, it's, a, it's, it's that sort of process of, of the emotions. And and I think it's um, it's a really beautiful journey. Like, and and it feels... Deeply, deeply honoring to have that experience. And I'll do it all again in a heartbeat. Like there, there's nothing about any aspect of my life, um, the deepest trauma or whatever. Like I wouldn't change any of it. Like, because it's all brought me to this, to this place I'm at now, um, to this experience. And it's all worth it. And I guess a big thing that I found is, you know, time isn't the measurement for that. You know, so 39 years of suffering and struggles and trauma have been far outweighed by six years of joy and happiness and self-connection. It doesn't, you know, time doesn't need to be an equal factor for it to, to be overwhelmed. Sure. You know? sure, and, sure. and it's really beautiful. And, you know, talk, we were talking earlier about, you know, men and our stereotypes. And so I'll be on the work site these days and, you know, I might be working with a group of contractors and something will come up about alcohol and I'll say I don't drink anymore. And, and I'm more than always happy to be vulnerable and say how oh, I used to be an alcoholic and I was screwed up. And, and, and what's always quite interesting is when we disperse from that group conversation and people will go to work, whatever, at least one person will always come up to me and say, I've got a problem with drinking. I'm drinking too much, you know, and like we can have a conversation. And a lot of times I'm pretty sure that's the first time they've ever said that to anyone. Yeah, for sure. sure That's the first time they've acknowledged that. So that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is the strength of vulnerability is then allowing other people to share in that strength in themselves to, to be vulnerable and I feel like that's um you know I guess I, I believe that life doesn't make mistakes and th- they're only mistakes when we're unable to see what the outcome is and I feel like my life has been an experience of understanding suffering so I could come out the other side and so I can share what I've been through with other people, I can, you know, um, empathize with them and I can, you know, understand pain and I can understand, you know, those feelings and those traumas that people are going through. And to be able to share like the, the way I'll think about things or the, the insights that I'll have and, you know, like I guess just embrace people as well. You know, like give them a hug, like both physically and emotionally um, as two souls and just be like, look, you can get through this. 
Like this is yeah. a, this is a beautiful journey, and that's amazing. Yeah, honestly, Paul, and, that's that's a great story, man. I, I, that's a beautiful story, you know. Yeah, and, and it's a story of hope and of transformation. And I don't know if I told you this before about my podcast, but my podcast is uh, mostly it's, it's its main theme is based on change and transformation, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, my goal is to be vulnerable myself and share my, my, uh, transformation stories. Um, and, and, you know, find people like, like yourself that have really fascinating, interesting, uh, changes in their lives. And, uh, it's really neat to, to hear other people and hear their, their journeys and like, you know, cause everyone's different and, but we, we can always learn from each other, you know? Yeah. And, and like you said about your, a coworker or whatever that you were mentioning about how he came up to you and mentioned how he's been drinking too much, you know? And like we mentioned earlier, I think me or you said something about how it takes, how it can take one person to open up vulnerably, which would help somebody else. Like it did that, that person at work to come to you and say, Hey, you know, Hey man, I'm, I'm also drinking too much or I'm, I'm going through this. And it allows you to be sort of a beacon of a beacon of light to, to share and to, uh, take them in and, you know, um, give them some hopeful information and, and just love them, be there for them, you know? So that's good. That's great. Beautiful. The beautiful metaphor. It's like live your life like a lighthouse. Mm. So, so shine your heart out. Yeah. And, and you can sort of dig deeper into that in the sense that a lighthouse doesn't travel out into the ocean looking for ships. Right. To go. It stands strong yep. in its position and it allows the boats to come to them. Mm, I like that. I love that. You know? and, and, and it shines the light in the right places to move. It yeah. doesn't physically drag the ship. Right. You know? and, and it's about living in a way where people can look and go, well, you seem to be happy. You're like, what is it you're doing? Mm. You know, and, yeah. and then sharing. You know, I, I find it's in sharing my own story that that really gets the conversation going. It's not saying to someone, well, you need to do this and you need oh, to yeah. do that. Yeah, because that, that never works for anybody. You know what I mean? No it's one wants a lecture. Exactly. No one wants a lecture. You of know, course not. It's, it's about like sharing and being like, well, this is this is what's worked for me. Right. Um, you know, and then if a person asks for, for advice or suggestions after that, well, you know, the invitation has been given right. to do and and no one wants unsolicited advice. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. And, and it really is, um, it's beautiful. Like I heard a quote from the Torah, which was, uh, if you save one life, you've saved all lives. And, you know, I, I don't follow any, um, any specific religion as such, you know, but mm. I have a belief in God. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, um, me, same here. I don't want to try and describe it because it seems a bit pointless that yeah. as, a, as a mere creation, I'm trying to describe the, the creator. Right. Um, but I find I find so much beauty in all religions. Um, same here, and, yeah. Yeah, I, I find people having relationships with God yeah. is, is absolutely beautiful. And, um, like, I, I, I take a lot of part in that and I find a lot of inspiration and, and I have friends who are, you know, Christians and, and Muslims and Buddhists and whatever it is. And 
And I find it such an honour to sit there and listen to them share those stories of their relationship with God. Yeah. And I believe, you know, and, and obviously I'm a human speculating on this, but I believe that the greatest service that we could ever give to God is to love ourselves because if God creates us and we are God's children in a sense, mm. would not a parent want their children to be loved? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and, and I think about that even like with my own children, you know, it wouldn't really bother me if someone disliked me, but, but if, they, if they loved my children and treated right. my children with respect, then that would be the greatest gift they could give me. I don't care if they didn't even want to talk to me, but, but like that I would see as a beautiful act. Yeah, and definitely. I, I think that's, I feel like that is our purpose, you know, above and beyond everything else. Our main purpose here is to love ourselves. Yeah. To, like unconditionally, without judgment. Yep. It, it doesn't mean that we can't um, push ourselves for goals it doesn't mean that sometimes we don't put you know positive pressure on ourselves to achieve something that we want to achieve um it doesn't mean that we can't reflect on choices and decisions we've made and think about how we would make different choices and decisions in the future but all of that being done in a loving respectful caring manner and once you can do that for yourself then you can share that with others yeah exactly can share that love with others and and when you find that love of self and, and you realize that you're a beautiful creation um, of life then you can see that reflected back at you everywhere you know whether it's a flower whether it's a snail or a spider a child you know a tree whatever it is you see that all of these things uh, are reflections of life are a reflection of something that's come to be and it's a beautiful place to be. Like, yeah, you know, like, it is. Yeah. When I walk out of my backyard and I, I look at the, my plants and the trees, and um, it fills me with so much joy. It fills me with so much happiness. And, you know, it feels, it feels like deeply honoring to be a part of this journey, um, to be a part of my own journey, to be a part of the journey of my plants, to be a part of the journey of my children. Um, to be a part of the journey of, of, of my fiance, and I wouldn't have any of this if it wasn't for these beautiful little mushrooms that yeah. that grow in the ground. That's so amazing that you say that because for a lot of people that might be listening to this um, once it's released, there. I mean, I have a lot of friends that listen and. I think probably a lot of them don't know too much about mushrooms or psychedelics and, and they have this sort of false view of what they are, right? Because it's yeah. in the media, it portrays it as this hippie drug, party drug. It's can make you go crazy or whatever, right? And um, it's really quite quite the opposite. And, and like you were mentioning earlier about um, seeing your doctors and having him upping your doses and giving you all these medications and and it really wasn't working for you. And, you know, and in traditional uh, medicine, you know, they, it's portrayed as, okay, take this medication, two pills a day or whatever, and it's supposed to help your depression or whatever it is. And a lot of times it just doesn't work for people. 
and, and, uh, and in fact, it might make it worse for them. And there's so many side effects, you know, it can make you be more suicidal. It can make your depression worse. It can make you feel numb. And then you're like, you're not really living, you know, yeah. and, and how, how, how horrible is that to not really feel alive? And well, it's, it's, um, every, everything is open to misuse. Yes. Yes. Everything is open to misuse. And I know people who can have a glass of wine yeah. or a glass of scotch and whiskey and that's it. They're fine. They're healthy. You know, yeah. I guess because these people aren't running away from trauma or anything. Or right. Self-educate. They're doing it through enjoyment. Um, you know, and, and I think like psychedelics, are, the plant medicines are very, very powerful tools for healing. Um, but I also think, that there are things, you know, look, I guess I was, I wouldn't just advise my approach for everyone. Sure. Um, we're, we're all individuals. And, and like, I, I was at, I was at the, the last point, like, you know, I was yeah. teetering on the edge. And so I dove in because I had nothing left to lose. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of promising stories that are coming out of, of microdosing yeah. Um, and, you know, and some really powerful experiences in that, you know, because I think, you know, with a lot of the, the psychedelics and the plant medicine, I, I think some of the first uh, interactions that they have with people doesn't need to be about changing your life in one experience. Well, I think some of the best things that they can give people in those first half a dozen experiences is just to be in a place of joy, a place where you're not stressed, a place where you're not fearful, a place where you feel happy, where you feel relaxed and where you feel joyful. You know, so yeah. maybe for, for people's first half a dozen interactions with, say, mushrooms as an example, the idea that they just sit there and laugh with abandon laugh with joy without fear yeah that's a, that's a beautiful thing it's amazing like, how many people actually get that how many people have that experience on a regular basis without feeling you know the inward pressure and anxiety of our modern world and, and of their lives and of bills to pay and, and all of this sort of stuff just to have a space for six hours where they can sit and laugh and be joyful yeah you know? and and, and as someone, you know, who went through this journey with mushrooms, um, I don't take them that much anymore. Sure. Okay. You know, I, I don't need them anymore. Yeah, that's, like, that's I awesome. Still take them because it's a nice little sort of rebalance, but yeah. it's not like pharmaceuticals where I now have to take mushrooms every day for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is an end point. There is a point where it's like, well, you know, you, the, the majority of the work has been done and it's yeah. almost like you know the, the it's almost like the responsibility for that gets passed back on to you as the person living this life you know you get to a certain point with the mushrooms and it's like well okay yeah. now now this is on you um yep and and in our society you know like it's 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 concerning it's concerning with the treatments that are given um, for pain, whether that be emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain, you know, I, 
I think about some of the, you know, without going too far down this rabbit hole, but I think about I, I took a medication 10, 15 years ago that was to stop me, help stop me smoking cigarettes. Okay. Um, and this medication has now been proven to be responsible for 15, 20, 30,000 suicides. Mm, you know, wow. So this wow. is a medication to stop you smoking cigarettes. I, possibility is you may kill yourself. Like, <laughs> right. So, like trying to, stop trying to weigh out what yeah. the better outcome yeah. is. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or the opiate, you know, crisis. Sure. Oh, yeah. It's a big thing. Yeah. Or, or, you know, drinking. So people think it's funny or socially acceptable to get drunk to the point that you will pass out and vomit on yourself and, and be an absolute brain fried mess the next day. And people will make comments like, sounds like you had a fun night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's so but then, true. But then I tell someone that I took um, a bunch of naturally growing mushrooms and spoke with my grandmother and spoke with my mom, lost my suicidal thoughts overnight yeah. And and walked in and they're like, oh yeah, but I hear they're dangerous. Right, and, right. I mean, obviously they're repeating what they've been told. Right. Um, because I'm not going to sit here and say that no one's ever had negative, you know, reactions. Of course. I, I think we're sort of kidding ourselves to say that, you know. Um, of course. But I, I think the instances of that are so small in comparison to the instances of negative or fatal consequences from prescription drugs, from legal alcohol, you know, from all of these things that we can, we can do legally that, that have become socially acceptable. And I believe personally that it's going to be the mushrooms that make the big breakthrough. Oh, because everyone is used to seeing them, whether it's seeing them in your supermarket, whether it's seeing them in the park when you go for a walk past them, whether it's seeing them in fairy tale books as a kid that's grown up, they're not they're not alien to us, you know. So if right. you take a concept like say ayahuasca or something, the idea of going down into the mm. Amazon and drinking yeah. this brew, like that's very foreign to a lot of people's thinking. Oh yeah, yeah, that's quite alien. But the idea of consuming something that we've been exposed to all of our lives, so it's not a stranger to our mind, um, and you look at a psychedelic mushroom and it looks, you know, obviously there's some differences, but it looks similar to the mushrooms that you've seen before. Yeah. Your body knows how to process it. It's not toxic. And I would always find that I woke up in the morning after having had a dose of mushrooms and I felt great. I felt fantastic. Yeah. That afterglow, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Afterglow lasts for weeks. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And and it's a really beautiful thing. And I guess, you know, my, my thing is when I talk to people about it, I believe in starting conservatively mm-hmm, because sure. it's, you know, a journey of healing isn't a marathon. You don't just run 100 metres and, and everything's dealt with and, and you're all fixed. Like it's, it's, it's a journey, it, you know, it, it's, it's a long-term process and you don't need to rush into things. Like I believe that people should be cautious, um, sure. but but positively cautious, yes. not fearful. Right. They should just make sure they're aware of the ideas um, and aware, you know, have some understanding of, of how these things may feel, you know. And and I think say uh, fantastic fungi, the documentary that that's a great you know, one. Stamets. So Amazing. it's great. So you can listen to these people who 
um, you know, are like people who are going to die from cancers and stuff like that and listen to their experiences they've had. And, you know, so you can get first-hand experience um, and listen to what, what people have been through. And, you know, I'd always normally advise that, um, you know, for a person's first time, they do it with someone else who's experienced. Absolutely. Uh, or be around a, a safe environment, like set and settings, very mm-hmm. important. Yep. Um, and I believe on starting low, you yes. know, like, uh, you know, to, to use probably a poor metaphor in the sense of start with the equivalent of a can of beer rather mm-hmm. than drinking a bottle of spirits. You right. know? It, yep. it's, it's like start low, manageable at what you can handle. Like don't, don't need to go jumping in into the deep end. Um, exactly. Yeah, like, you know, and, and that's just about self respect and self care. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah and, but, and I would, I would, I would add to that. Um, but a buddy of mine told me when I asked him about what his advice would be to others who might be interested in, in taking something like mushrooms, and he told me just for them to be passionately curious, yeah. right? To have an open mind. Right. Sure. You're, you're going to be, have some fear or you might have some doubts and everything, but if you're passionately curious about it and you're maybe doing some research and like you said, start starting low, right. Yeah. There's, there's no need to jump in the deep end because that's yeah. where those quote unquote bad trips can occur. And, and that's yeah. going to scare somebody off to, to stop doing that again. But um, yeah, you, you know, I mean, I think just being curious and, and doing it with the right intention and yeah. like you like you said and keeping in mind also like at the start of the experience like allowing yourself to remember in the back of your mind that there's a set duration to how long this yes. lasts mm-hmm. and if things are feeling a little bit fallen or whatever remembering that there's a couple hours left where or wherever you may be in the journey like it's gonna stop you're not broken or this isn't the new way of like how the rest of your life's going to be um but to be curious and to not resist yes like once you have made the decision to take something then don't allow yourself to fall into the mindset of i wish this was over this needs to stop like you said it's about being curious allow the experience to flow where it's going to flow yeah knowing that there's an end point um and and just to be open to it yeah and you know like sometimes sometimes what they can do is if you have like concerns or worries that are in your the forefront of your mind at that point like or you know in that day or that week leading up to it sometimes they may surface surface yeah yeah in that state because they need to be sort of put to bed a bit Yep. before the rest of the journey can begin because it's it's almost like a wall you have in front of that process definitely and, and it's very important to do that like to try and stay calm as that comes up yeah you i'm know? glad you i'm glad that you said that because um there's been a couple of times i've done mushrooms and i would sort of how do i say it i would really be stuck in my head and expecting something that i wasn't receiving and which would make that sort of journey kind of not ugly, but just not very comfortable. But what I've learned from those couple experiences um, is just to surrender to it, right? Yeah. Just like what basically what you were saying, surrendering to it, 
which is going to allow you to see those things that might arrive to the surface and allow you to deal with whatever those things might be. And that's, that's key to healing and to, and to, and to getting the most out of that journey. It's very important. And, and, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but mm -hmm. sometimes it is a case of you don't always get what you want. Yeah. I mean, that state will normally get what you need. Exactly. And, um, you know, just, just to share a technique that, that I've used at times where I've had some of that stuff come up and I just, I go through a bit of a checklist in my mind where I'm like, okay, I've thought about this now. I have no new information. I've thought at all possible angles. So I'll put this to bed. I'll put this aside for another time in the future. Yeah. It's time to go over this again. And, and you know, it's like laying it down and go, okay, yep, I might not have come to a solution for this, but I've thought about it from different angles. There's nothing new to add. I'm going to put this to the side and then, you know, let things go on. And, you know, another thing is it's, I, as you get into it, it is also important to keep in the back of your mind that you have had mushrooms in the journey sure. um, because sometimes you, i found that I can forget that right, um, and become slightly confused and then be like, oh, okay, yes, no, I've had right. mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then that's just like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's okay. And it... it yeah, I guess, again, you know, the, the, the big thing is take it slowly. Um, don't You don't need to try and jump in on the first time and deal with your deepest levels of trauma. Like they've been there for a long time. Be patient with yourself. Be loving yeah. and respectful for yourself and um, just let things unfold, you know. Definitely. And, and, and just trust, you know, and surrender. Like yeah. surrender to the experience, you know, it's – um, I use the analogy, it's like when you play a video game. You know, you don't spend the whole time you're playing a video game saying, this isn't real, none of this is happening, this is just computer code, I'm pressing right. a stick. Mm -hmm. You allow yourself to immerse in the experience because that's what you want. Yeah, so yeah. sort of allow yourself to immerse in the experience without constantly questioning what it is, you know. Sure. And it sure. doesn't matter how it's happening. Like, it doesn't matter what's causing it but it is what's happening, you know? So, so just sort of, yeah, yeah. embrace them. Yeah, and, and I would say also that, um, you know, something like mushrooms or, or any other thing like ayahuasca or whatever it might be, um, is just one tool in the toolbox, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's not something that everyone needs to do, right? Um, there's other modalities that people can do. There's meditation, there's breath work, there's all types of things that obviously there's talk therapy and, and for some people, maybe, maybe medications work for them. Right. Yeah. Maybe. You, I mean, I, definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. Exactly what you're saying. There's, there's no one-stop shop. Like, you know, and what's worked for me doesn't necessarily work for everyone else. Um, and, and it's not a necessity. Right. And I think people also need to like really appreciate that with themselves. If yes. they do try mushrooms, for example, and it doesn't work, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. You know, right. there's other other places to explore. Yes. Um, and, and to respect the fact that we are all individual, to respect the fact that, you know, our biologies work differently. You know, not everyone thrives on the same diet. Not everyone, 
you know, necessarily needs the same or less amount of exercise, you know, and our minds and our emotions are quite similar in that sense. Um, and just, you know, be respectful of, 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 of ourselves and of our experiences, you know. And, and for me, obviously, yes, the, the mushrooms played a massive part in it, um, but I had to do a lot of work outside of that space in integrating those experiences. Yeah, I would, know, say the, I would say the integration is probably the most important part, right? It is the most important part. And maybe, and maybe, quite, even, maybe even the hardest part too. Because it, it's quite easy to feel fantastic and magical in that, in that mushroom space, yeah. you know, when yep. you're in there. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's the weeks and the months that come after that. And exactly. You know, one thing that I, I suggest to lots of people, probably even before I suggest mushrooms, is walking in nature. Oh yeah. Like move your body because when when you walk for example or exercise that's actually 100% about self-love. Like when yeah. you're out there walking, you're not doing it for your boss, you're not doing it for your partner, you're not doing it for anyone else. Every step you take is an expression of self-love. Mm. And you Love know that. We're a physical body as much as we're an emotional body and a spiritual body. Yeah. And our physical body needs to be looked after. You know, if, if you have a pet dog and you keep it caged up in the backyard or sitting on a couch 24-7, dog's going to go crazy. Mm. You know, yeah. and our body's sort of similar. It needs to be moved. It needs to be walked. Yep. And, and I've found so often that in taking long walks, when I come home, my body was relaxed. And my mind was calm, mm. you know, and, and there's also, um, you know, listening to some really interesting research that, that this psychiatrist was talking about. And so she was saying that the more we push, push against or push into physical discomfort, whether that be exercising, walking, the gym, bike riding, swimming, whatever that is, the more we push into that discomfort of movement, the more our body wants to bring us back into a comfortable state. The more we push into comfort, which is like just sitting on our butts, staring at our TV, doing nothing, our body pushes us into discomfort. So, you know, that sense of like, oh, I'm going to sit on the couch all day, every day and relax actually creates more distress in our mind. Oh, absolutely. Know? Yeah, so going out for those walks, you know, going out and being in nature and you know i mean even i can't remember the exact quote in latin but you know the romans mm. over two thousand years ago said the best way to solve a problem is to go for a walk mm. yeah you know, because yeah. you're moving you're in a different environment you know like Definitely. we can't underestimate the importance especially being around nature of all of these smells and these chemicals and, the, and these things that are being released in the soil in the trees you know and how important they are for our physical well-being. Yeah, and because, just how and just how connected we are to to nature, to the universe. Well, we're right? animals. We're yeah, animals. Absolutely. Nature, nature yeah. is our home. Amongst yep. the trees is our home. Yep. You know, like out, out, out in the rain, whatever it may be, yeah, that sure. is our home. Mm. The, these boxes that we live in, I understand. I love it. They are comfortable. They keep the rain off our heads. Which is <laughs> of course, yeah. Life. We have water. It's fantastic. Sure. Yeah. But that is that is unnatural. So yeah. we have to we have to keep that in mind and remember that as as an animal that there is an importance of taking ourselves back into our natural environment. Like I know whenever I go camping 
how great I feel after it. And I'm like, why don't I do this more often? You know, because you go home, you can body can reset. You don't have a TV. You don't have artificial lights. You're under the stars. You hear the wind blowing through the trees, you know, and to our body, that's home. And, you know, and, and it's about like understanding our needs, like physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and, and taking care of those needs. And it's almost like, our body being our connection to this world, the physicality that we need to sort of like start there. Yeah. Like, you know, if we can get our body comfortable, if we can get our body happy, you know, then we can move to our emotions or our mind, you know, and, and start to work with them. But, but if the body is unhappy, that's going to play issues with our emotions and, and our thinking. It's, it's like, you've got to connect all of the dots and and it can sound overwhelming, but it doesn't need to be. It can right. be as simple as just starting with a five-minute walk. Yeah. You know, because a five-minute walk is better than no walk. Yes. You know? And yeah. and just like just always, I think it's so important for us humans. You know, with our modern world, it's all about faster, quicker. Yeah, we want that. We want that fast uh, results. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it's a lifelong journey. It's a yes. lifelong journey. Yep. You know. There is, there's no finish line. It's right. a beautiful journey, you know, yeah. and, and, and the beauty comes in the journey. The beauty comes in the question. The beauty isn't the finish line. The beauty isn't the answer, you know. It's the journey and it's the question where we find, like, the deepest gifts, the deepest, you know, beauty in this life. And mm. um, I think it's really important like as counter as that is to the messages we get in this modern world to to push against that and be like, nah, that's not how it works. You know, this, my, my, my life is not a KPI. I don't need to, you know, like tick boxes, Mm -hmm. you know, I I need to enjoy and embrace this experience in whatever, whatever mode that takes, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's it's truly beautiful. Like it is. Life is a, life is poetry. Life is art. Life is life is magic. You know, and and it's to open our eyes to that. And like the the beauty of watching a bee fly around on a flower. You know, the beauty of watching a tree blow in the wind. Um, the beauty of watching the people in our lives like grow. Um, the beauty of sharing love. The beauty of having conversations with with friends and strangers. You know, the beauty of like walking past a stranger in the street, making eye contact, smiling and saying hi. Yeah. Like that's beautiful. It is. And, and it's to appreciate all of these beautiful things that we have and um, yeah, to enjoy them. Yeah. You know? Life is here to enjoy even the hard times. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Um, it is. It's, it's a beautiful experience. And I'm, I'm so grateful um, to have this experience and I jump in and do it all again. Like, mm. you know, through all the hard parts, yeah, yeah. I put my hand up a million times to go through it again. Mm. You know, if it, if it leads me back to the same path, um, then yeah, however many times I'll do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's really cool, Paul. That, that's, that says a lot about you, man. That, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Really. Yeah. Well, I mean, Paul, I, I really can't thank you enough for sharing your your story, your journey. 
I, I can't even imagine how difficult a lot of your life has, has been, you know, but I'm so happy to see that you have changed in such a more positive uh, way and with more love and compassion, like, like you've been talking about. It's so, it's so uh, refreshing to see that in people, you know, to, yeah. to see, you know, I, I've, I've had friends and, and people that have been on, on dark paths with drugs and, and I, I have my own story about things like that too. But it's it's so cool to see when somebody is on that dark path, even though it's not cool to see that. But but when they when they're on that dark path, and whether it's with using drugs or or whatever it might be, right? Um, and then to see them come out of it somehow, and to see that light in their eyes, in their in their body again, and yeah. to see that change, it's such a it's such a beautiful thing. And I just love to see and hear stories much like yours. And it makes me feel so much more grateful for other people and have more compassion and just to listen and understand. And, you know, everyone's story is different, but we can all learn from each other, you know, yeah. and, and that's the beautiful thing about life. You know, we all come from different paths, you know, like you and I, for example, we're, we're across the whole planet right now, right? <laughs> You're in Australia. I'm in the, the U S and yet we're here talking and we're, yeah. we're having a great conversation and we're connecting and that's, that's amazing, you know, and we couldn't have done this, you know, 30 years ago. So it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it really is, man. It's, it's so beautiful. And, um, you know, thank you again for being vulnerable. Um, you know, I, I think this is going to be very helpful and useful for those who, who hear this, you know, and, and I, I have so much empathy and, and compassion and, and sympathy for those who are struggling or who have struggled. And for people to hear stories like this, it's really motivating, you know, and it, it gives people hope. At least I hope it gives people hope, you know, yeah. and it's 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 part of this part of, you know, one of the steps that we can do for ourselves to help other people. And, you know, it's my goal and my hope that we can. Uh, break down these like stigmas and, and taboo topics because they, they shouldn't be like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, like you were saying earlier about alcohol and, and things that are legal, like cigarettes or tobacco products and alcohol and things that are so harmful, so dangerous that, that kill like the percentage of people that are involved in, in deaths due to alcohol is, is insane. Yeah. Uh, yet, yet, I mean, there's, I don't know, less than 1% of probably deaths of people taking mushrooms, I, I would imagine, I, I'm not sure the exact number, but I'm sure it has been it'd dangerous be pretty, for some. Yeah, of course. And, and um, yeah. it's just interesting how our society sort of values alcohol, especially, um, and, and sees other substances as like evil and so bad and harmful when really it, it's not like that. You know, it's, well, it's, I, I, it's so much of it. I, I, I believe that an understanding of history mm-hmm. is very important for us to understand where we are now oh, you yeah. know, from, from society's point of view. Um, we go back to the Roman times, you know, mm-hmm. bread, wine, and circuses, and you yeah, can do anything yeah. you want. And it's quite similar today. Um, you know, I've worked with people who have been working the same job 25 years that they absolutely hated, um, but they were doing it so they could get drunk every night and watch their football team on the weekend um, yeah. and just live in this perpetual cycle of misery. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, was, um, it was heartbreaking to watch. 
It like, is. It, it is heartbreaking to watch. And, you know, without sort of like trying to take this into a broader societal philosophical concept, I believe mm. that people, when they're drunk um, or when they're drinking, they're easier to control. Um, yeah. They're easier to lead in the directions that you need to lead them in. If you right. own their addiction, if you become the source of the person supplying them with their addiction through bottle shops and, you know, liquor marts and all of that stuff, you've got them. And yeah. I, for me, when I was drinking, I felt worthless. Mm. Like, why would I not want to drink to try and cover up how worthless I felt? And, sure. and you know, yeah. I, I'd feel happy for the first three drinks. And then, right. And then eventually, it... I felt miserable. Of course. Of course. And I'd wake up the next day and I'd feel sick mm. and, and I'd feel even worse. And, and I'd go through this process of like feeling so brain fogged and, and miserable. And I'd be like, I'm not going to drink today. I don't want to drink. But then, you know, half an hour before work was ending, I was thinking about where the nearest bottle shop was that I could go to mm-hmm. so I could start drinking again. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. And, and I think that if there are options such as mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever it may be, um, why can't we explore them? Absolutely. Like, yeah. What, what is the problem with, with exploring? You know, when people are, we live in a deeply traumatized society, mm-hmm. um, you know, people are struggling. People are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I'm not sure about Australia or other parts of the world, but I know in the US, the USA, it's, I want to say something like 60% of people hate their jobs. Right. Yeah. They, they just, they despise it. And, and I think a lot of those people that, that are in that situation turn to things like alcohol or marijuana or other drugs to, to stay afloat, Yeah, you know, and it's a sad thing to, to, to think about and to know because they, they have to turn to something that is potentially damaging and life-threatening even um, just to barely stay above the water. they do something that's damaging so they can continue to perform in a job that is damaging yeah it's an it's a it's a never-ending process of of this cycle of of damage exactly and um you know maybe i can like you know obviously this is this is just the, the thought but um you know, if, if, if mushrooms become legal and, and people were able to start accessing this type of medicine and then 10% of the people on mushrooms like sort of wake up and realize, hang on, no, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to, you know, yeah. put widgets in boxes. You know, right. I, I, I want to go and live on the land. I want right. to, you know, because the way I see it, like in talking with my partner, uh, realistically, what higher purpose could i have in my life than to grow my own food to put my own shelter over my head to love and live in connection with my community um do i need the tv do i need those new shoes do i need those new you know fancy pants like like all of this crap that we get pushed at us and and told to desire and all of this messaging that comes through you know, we work these jobs to pay other people to have responsibility for our most basic needs. Exactly. So we can pay a butcher to provide us meat. So we can pay a farmer to provide us food. Mm-hmm. Like they're the important things. Yeah. You know, and and yes, like I I do also like in saying that, 
I love and and am amazed at the beautiful world that we can live in, where people who are hungry can go to a supermarket and get food. Yeah, you know, like, I, I love all of that. Of course, so, you know, yeah. I'm not saying you know, like I, I love the luxury of flicking a light switch and my house glows. Or if I need water, I turn a tap and the water comes. There like, it that, is. That's yep. And, yeah. and we live in the safest period of, of history that humans have ever lived in. We do, yeah. We're probably more neurotic than humans have ever been, more sure. fearful than they've ever been, but we yeah. actually live in the safest the safest times, regardless of what's been happening the last few years. Yeah. Um, but in in that process of seeking safety and comfort, we've, we've lost ourselves. We've lost some of the meaning of, yeah. of what it is to be who we are, you know, and I agree. just to be the best versions of ourselves and, you know, like to get our hands in the soil and, 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 and to feed ourselves. You know, my grandparents' generation, they had veg, veggie patches. They had chickens in the backyard. Yeah, they knew yeah. how to shoot rabbits and, and yeah. get their own meat, you know, and, and mum could stay at home. Mum didn't need to work. You know, right. like right. dad could go out and work and, and mum was there to support the family and make sure things went right. Or, or yeah. dad, or, you know, if you flip sure. it. Either way, yeah. We have this modern world where both parents have got to work to try and just break even while, while right. we leave the raising and rearing of our children to, you know, tablet yeah. screens, computer screens mm. and, yeah. you know, social media and all of this sort of stuff. Like yeah. it's, it's almost like we need to... We need to pull back a bit, you know. Definitely, definitely. You know, I, I was just reading the other day this article about um, uh, Gen Z, this newer generation, and um, I forget the exact numbers, but it was saying something that uh, this newer generation, Gen Z, um, they have the most depression, the most anxiety, the most uh, yeah. mental mental health uh, disorders or, or illnesses. And I think it's a big part of that is because of what you just mentioned, social media and tablets and, and electronic devices and TV. And, and we've lost, we sort of lost touch with reality and, and nature. And, you know, it, it's, it's so amazing to see um, people like from, for, for example, my parents, they just uh, got like, I think I want to say maybe eight chickens. Yeah. I, my dad used to be a contractor. So he built, this really nice chicken coop and um, they got some chickens. They have a really nice big garden, with vegetables and fruit and trees and stuff. And um, it, they love it, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and how wonderful it, would it be for, to see so many more people do that? Cause there's so much yeah. more grat- gratification and um, just kind of self, um, self more self love and self appreciation, you know, well, and it's also that direct connection with nature in the sense mm. of, you pick something from the tree and you connect with that tree. Yeah. You, you know, and, and it's also a beautiful relationship in the sense of when you plant, you know, vegetable crops or food crops, you are giving a certain amount of love, a certain time duration of love before you ask for anything back. Mm, so that's, it breaks that's a good that, point. It breaks that concept of instant gratification, which our world wants yeah. now. Click your phone, get it, you know, right. go to the shop, get it. It, it. it teaches you so many lesson, lessons about patience, about yes. giving before asking to receive. Yeah, you know, sacrifice, that, yeah. Yeah, when you pick that tomato off your own vine and you eat that and it tastes unlike anything you're ever going to buy at the shop, um, 
it, it's a beautiful thing, you know, and, and it's a beautiful, you realize that there's a relationship and, and that we're part of a system. We're not exclusive to that system. That, that, and, and I think so much of our neuroses and so much of the depression and anxiety and all of that come because we've removed ourselves from our ecosystem. We've yeah. removed ourselves from what we're part of. And yeah. as much as we're hiding inside of our houses, we're still relying on the bees to pollinate, you know, the plants so we can eat that food. Right. Or we're building our diets mostly from something that looks like food Right. God knows what it is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. you walk into a supermarket here in Australia and there's a half an aisle in the supermarket that's called health food. Mm. So what's the rest of it? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, like, the, there, there's the organic session and then there's the 90% of the rest of like, what is it? Well, there's, more, <laughs> yeah. there's more variety of soft drinks and chocolates and crisps. Snacks and, and all. Yeah. And all of that, then there is fruit and vegetables and there is health food. Yeah. You know, and we're putting all of this stuff into our bodies. Yep. And, you know, I mean, who knows what it's doing, doing to us? Oh, yeah. And it's a shame. It's a shame, too, that the, the, more, healthy, uh, the more healthy products are more expensive, too. So the people well, that are in poverty or, or can't really afford those healthy options, they have to sort of stick with maybe more unhealthy foods and, and they stay in that perpetual cycle of being unhealthy and being depressed or, or whatever. And it's just, it's a shame that, that we live in a society that is set up that way. Well, the crazy thing is, so soft drink is obviously 99% water right. and it's got some chemicals in it that make it soft drink. Yet uh -huh. somehow a two liter bottle of soft drink is cheaper than a two liter bottle of like, <laughs> yes. water. Right. You know? It's crazy. And yeah, and I have seen like a lot of beautiful things happening. You know, um, mm -hmm. I've seen. I was reading this article, and I think it's a place in Detroit where they've taken you know a small amount of land. It might only be like five acres or something. Okay, but they're producing like you know fifteen thousand pounds of, of organic food that you know oh, is wow. then given away free to the neighbourhood. Like, oh wow, there, there are. Um, you know, on the flip side from all of the despair and the negativity and that that we see mm -hmm. in the world is, you know, I look at it like um, our own experiences, you know. So the nasty stuff in the world or the trauma that's trying to express ourselves in our bodies, it screams for attention. It yeah. demands to be seen, yeah. Happiness, love, joy, and people undertaking beautiful and positive actions, they're too busy living that to demand attention. Like you don't, you don't walk around to all of your friends and go, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. <laughs> right. you know, but you walk <laughs> right. around to your friends and go, I'm sad, I'm sad. Mm, like, yeah. Because you're just too busy doing, you know. So yeah. sometimes when we watch the news or we get on social media and all of that stuff, you're seeing all this bad stuff, like, right. you know, like all these dodgy politicians, all of right. these dodgy, you know, corporate yeah. companies, all of this sort of stuff because – you know, it's about trying to create a mindset of fear. Yeah. But there's a duality in the world and just as many nasty stuff's going on, there's more beautiful stuff going on. That is but so that, true. That stuff is just too busy happening. Right. Like, you know, beautiful people don't come out and demand attention and say, look how yeah. beautiful I am. You know, right. they, they yep. just do it. Like it's, and there's so much beautiful stuff that is happening. There is, um, yep. And it's so important to, you know, another big thing for me in my healing was 
I used to have 24-hour news channel on all the time in the background, you know, and like constantly looking at all of these idiots, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. politics and, right. and like spending so much time sitting there going, look at that idiot, what an idiot, you know. They're just, yep. And it was like this idea just come in my head and said, yeah, isn't it easy to sit here and look at idiots? Yeah. What about you actually go and find people that like are worth looking up to? What about exactly. Yeah, you know, and then I found people like Paul Stamets. I found yeah. people like Wim Hof. You know, yeah, I yeah. found these beautiful people doing beautiful things in the world. And I was like, oh, yeah. isn't this much more worth paying my attention to? Like so to, much to look more. At people that make me feel inspired. Yes. Like not people that make me feel even more weighed down by this world. Politicians are idiots. Oh, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're the lowest common denominator of greed. And, oh, yeah. you know, look, no, okay, sorry, that's a broad statement. I'm sure there are a lot of beautiful people. Uh, of course, of course. But the <laughs> sure. ones that we see, they're, yeah. they're the lowest common denominator of humanity. Like, they're, they're just idiots. They're looking for power. They just lie to us all the time, you know, and, and they're not the smartest people. I mean, in politics, we don't pay the wages to get the smartest people. Yeah, sure. You know, we, we get the fools. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, so if you're watching them all the time, you think the world's screwed. Yeah. But, but, but you look at all of these beautiful people who are out there, you know, who are trying to grow food to feed, you know, people who can't afford it. Those people mm. that are out there in, like, broken communities, like, opening their hearts up to try and support people. Oh, you know, yeah. People who are out there mentoring, you know, children that aren't theirs, you know, foster parents who take on children that aren't theirs so they can give them a family of love. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. People who are out in this world spreading love, you know, um, yeah. people who, uh, you know, priests who are, who are in churches or, or moms who are in mosques or, mm -hmm. you know, monks who are, are in Buddhist temples who are talking about love, you know, who are being beacons of love. You know, it, it's a beautiful world. But what you want to turn your eyes to is what you will find. If you want to stare at the darkness, then you sit out there at the night the whole time going, I can't see any light. That's right. And if you want to find the light, you open your eyes during the day and you're almost going to be blinded by how powerful that light is. Yeah. You know? And the world is full of it. And there's so much beauty in this world that we just need to let our eyes be open to it. You know, we need to, we need to stop paying attention to, to the fear mongering you know, that we're exposed to, that, that there is actually a bit of a, a, you know, a massive push in trying to get that into our minds. Definitely. Um, it's, it's important to get to a point and say enough. Yeah. Enough. No. Yep. I'm not giving this my attention anymore. Yep. You know, and, and where we put our attention is, is what, what fills us, what nourishes us. You know, the, the information and the things we look at in the world should be thought of as food. Like, do you want to eat junk food that makes you sick? Do you want to, like, look at junk ideas that make you feel depressed? Or do you want to open your eyes up to organic, healthy people, you know, and look at the beautiful things that people are doing in the world and let that, you know, fill you with joy because there, this world is already full of hope. Yep. But we've all been like blinkered to look to avoid at it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At fatalism, you know, yeah. but, but it's beautiful. There, there, there is so much out there, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. it's taking that step out of yeah. our comfort zones and, you know, the, the universe will give us what we want. 
Like if we sit around and we think that life's crap, the universe will constantly give us reinforcement of why life is crap. Yep. If you want to see it as beautiful, then the universe will keep giving you beautiful things to look at. That's right. You know? Yeah, the, but, the mind the mind is so powerful. You know. Yeah, and I heard um, I heard Joe Rogan explain something once, which which I think like it's almost something everyone should keep in mind, which is we are we are living on the most advanced spaceship that we can comprehend that is flying through space at who knows how fast yeah. with these other things floating around us that control our, our oceans and our currents. And, and we have this power source that helps us grow food and we're living on this, you know, organic spaceship that sustains us shooting who knows where. Yeah. Like we need to appreciate like this, this, amazing magical mystical unknowable experience that 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 we're living in and and use that as the basis for our thinking use that for the basis of what we then you know like i've had friends in the past that have said to me i hate this world Mm. and it's like no you hate this media view of what yeah your view of what you're seeing yeah yeah yeah, sure yeah of this world you know that our world is the plants and the animals and the winds and all of this amazing beautiful stuff yeah um but but so much of that's so easy to forget because we're bombarded with all of these messages we're bombarded with all of this fear you know like i have the radio on driving to work and and the news you know the news bulletin which lasts for three minutes tells me about people that have died in car accidents you know what the what the COVID cases are. You right. know what else I should be scared of, and and it's all horrible stuff. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and and it's almost impossible to listen to that and say, well, no, there's no concerted effort to keep us in fear all the time because mm-hmm. there there is, right. and it doesn't really take too much critical thinking to to open up and to see that, you know, and. Um, and like, you know, we're talking about with the children's generation, with like the social media and the Instagrams and all mm-hmm. of that and these influencers yeah. who are people pretending that they are happy, people pretending that they're living these glamorous mm-hmm. lives, people projecting all of this stuff when probably they're completely neurotic, depressed yeah. and traumatized. Of course. And then other people are trying to emulate and live up to these false perceptions yeah. Yeah. of what these people are projecting. They're trying to they're trying to emulate some unreal aspect of what humans are, mm. and and you know the 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 latest brand names, all of this absolute yep. rubbish. Oh, it um, is. You know, rather than like when I want some influencer to come out and say, "Oh my god, my life is hard." Yeah. I'm oh, I, I absolutely love when I see friends or or other people that are like public figures post about ugly stuff like about their depression or their miscarriages or their divorce or their whatever it's it's so refreshing to see that because it's like like you said all we all most of what people see is the glamour and the happiness and i'm so great and i have so much money and i'm so whatever and it's like they probably really aren't that happy and they probably don't have that much money and they probably are suffering inside and they're they're using this platform to cover up their their trauma and then their their ugliness that they're going through, you know, it's, it's well, so my true. Old, my old boss that owned the company I worked at um, would be a multi-billionaire. 
And I can tell you without one shadow of a doubt that I am so much happier than he is. Like, and I live a life of so much joy than he does. Like when, when I used to watch the anger that he'd come into work with as a multi-billionaire who was addicted not only to power but to alcohol and God knows what else, and that anger and that sadness and all that trauma I'd see in his eyes, you know, with his three, $4 billion in his personal bank account. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. I'm happier than he is. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you look at these, these tribes in like the Amazon jungle and they, they have – I mean, they don't have anything as far as what we would think of what things are, right? But they have everything to them, the land, yeah. their food, the people. It's a small community and they all support each other. And, you know, they don't have all this electronic stuff and they're so fulfilled. They're so happy. They, you know, they have everything they need. Exactly. And they actually understand their place yeah. as part of a bigger system. Exactly. You know, they understand that their place of connectivity yeah. um, and, and, the, and the beauty, the belonging, that, that the, the sense of belonging that that gives you to realize oh, yeah. that you're not only just part of your family, but you're part of a bigger family that includes the bugs in the soil, that includes, you know, the bees on the plants, that includes the trees, that includes the winds, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and then I think... One thing, um, you know, that I, I think about and talk about even to my kids is uh, we present our children with this false narrative of magic, where, you know, in the sense of we present them with, with the Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and, and all of that sort of stuff, right? And then we steal that away from them. Yeah. yeah? We, we sort of like crush their belief in magic right. by giving them false magic. Right. And, and even as parents... We do the same things that the politicians and these big corporate companies do is when our children question the lies, Mm. when they question us about Santa Claus, when they question us and go, I don't believe it's real, we double down on the (laughs) lie. That's right. That's right. And we we try even harder to convince them that the lies that we're telling them are true. True. Yeah. And we sort of crush them a bit. And, and it's about like, I, I you know, I, I'm guilty of that. Like, sure. I'm not yeah, yeah, sure. like pointing fingers, you know. Right. But what I, what I explain to my children now is that this world is far more magical than they ever believed. Mm. And, and as they get older and as they open their eyes to it, this world can become more magical. I mean, really, winds, the, wind is magic. Rain is magic. Yeah, absolutely. The sun. The sun the is sun, magic. Yeah, like, oh, for sun, sure. It's deeply magic and it's mm. deeply beautiful. And I don't care if there's scientific explanations to it. Just sure. because you can explain something, it doesn't mean that it's not magic. Um, yeah. You know, so it's almost like we traumatize our children by stealing the magic from the world. Mm, and as yeah. parents, we, we create a situation where our children look at us and go, well, you're just liars. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we're, our, we're the first forms of authority that that um, our children interact with. That's right. And the yeah. first forms of authority that they interact with lie to them and then double down on the lies to them, yep. you know, and, and we get them used to that. And, yeah. and, and sadly and unconsciously, we're training our children to just accept lies from all yeah. authority figures, whether that be, you know, teachers and doctors and, and politicians and whoever it may be, whatever mm-hmm. experts coming up to tell us another lie. Right. Um, because they feel defeated because we stole all the magic of the world. 
Yeah. yeah and, and no wonder as kids we retreat and we rebel against our parents. <laughs> of and, course, and, yeah, sure. We, you know, we, we give them every reason to. And, mm. and I, I try to have conversations, you know, with my children where I say, look, I know because I'm an adult, you think I, I know everything and I've got everything sorted out. Uh, in a way, I'm just like you guys. I'm still learning. I'm yeah. still making mistakes. I don't know everything. Not everything I'm telling you is going to be right. Right. You know, I'm still trying to find my way and we're equal. You know, yeah. I, I look forward, you know, sometimes my kids call me by my name mm. and I love that. And I look forward to the day that they do that more often because yeah. it doesn't matter what they call me. I'll always be their father. Right. But when my children call me Paul, it creates a sense of equalness. It creates a sense like of that. understanding that we're two fellow souls traveling mm. this path together and yeah, okay, I've been here for a bit longer, sure. um, but we're equal. It doesn't yeah. matter that I know more or I, you know, do whatever. Right. Um, we're equals, and and I think that's a beautiful sort of relationship to to build with our children. Absolutely. And, you know, to try and create that that sense of equality and that sense of like, because I think when we create that equality with our children. Our children, like as they grow older, they'll be realized, well, yeah, sometimes I tell lies. Well, yeah, so sometimes <laughs> right. my parents told me lies, you know. Right. I yeah. make mistakes. Yeah, my parents make mistakes. Yeah. But I try and sure. my parents try. Exactly. Like, so it, it creates this, uh, what I consider a more beautiful, beautiful dynamic that takes away authoritarian and, you know, positional aspects of, of where we are in, in the tribe. Um. To, to sort of create like a more open relationship, you know, and, and my kids have seen me cry. And obviously I've, my kids know about my journey with mushrooms. My kids know about my struggles with alcohol, you know, and, and sometimes I don't realise, you know, but a few months back I was sitting in, in like driving the car and my daughter was talking to one of her friends and she's like, do you know my dad hasn't drank alcohol for nearly eight years? <laughs> you know, and like listening to how proud she was of that. That's amazing. Um, you know, when I hit the seven year mark and getting messages from my kids being like, well done, dad, you know, mm -hmm. seven years sober, like, you know, I'm really proud of you. And and being able to have those those deeper conversations with my kids and, and talk yeah. about love and talk about empathy. And, you know, when my friend, uh, when my son tells me about friends at high school who are behaving in certain ways and being annoying and being argumentative, to be able to have conversations about what that behavior might be caused by on a deeper level, the fact yeah. that that behavior relates to self-doubt the fact that that behavior relates to self-judgment, the, beha the behavior relates to not feeling valued. And, you know, so to, to have those conversations, to get them starting to think about, you know, the intricacies and the nuances of, of human behavior rather than mm -hmm. just being like, oh, you know, well, that person was mean to me. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, but that's that person's response in their life. Exactly. You know? mm, that's, that's, that's a good point. And you know, and I, I think this next generation, like they've got some challenges, some deep challenges like sure. we spoke about. But this, the sense in my children, their sense of justice, their sense of equality, their sense of not accepting stuff yeah. anymore. Yeah. And, and I sort of feel like my, my job was to almost be like the damn wall for trauma. 
Mm-hmm. I, it, it was hit my back and I was right. standing and saying no more and no. Mm-hmm. Break and, that and, generational trauma. Yeah. yeah. That's and, amazing. And so they've become something different. That's amazing. That we haven't seen in, in who knows how long. Yeah. And, and, You're right. and when my children talk to me with such passion about social beliefs, racial justice, mm-hmm. equality, all of those sorts of things. And yes, they're still kids. So they're bouncing around on some extremes and things like that, as we all did as kids. Of course. Um, but I think where they're going to be when they're 20 or where they're going to be at 30 and 40, yeah. um, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. So, to, yeah. It's really exciting. It's yeah. really exciting. And, and I hate to like put so much, you know, on their shoulders because I feel we all have like a, a part to play. Right. But what they're going to be able to bring to this experience, you know, yeah. is, is truly beautiful, you know, and, and something that gives me faith because it's very easy to get worried um, with how everything's going in the world about what future our children are going to have. Um, but, you know, as part of my spiritual beliefs, I believe that, that this is a time they chose to come in, yeah. you know, and, and they've picked this time for a reason and they've picked these experiences because they're strong enough to deal with them. That's right. And, yeah. That's like both humbling and, you know, um, it, it, it takes a lot of pressure off. Definitely. You know? yeah, yeah, definitely. For sure, yeah, man. It's, it's beautiful. It is. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's really great, you know, and I, I have complete faith in this generation. And, and Me too. So do I. You know, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're dealing with their collective trauma at the moment. But maybe the beauty of them having dealing with a collective trauma is the fact that they can collectively deal with the with the response and the acceptance coming out of it, rather than all of us having been traumatized individually. Individually, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. They can they can sort of embrace and walk and support each other coming out of this collective. Yeah, trauma. and and like like Ramdas would would say, you know, we're all just walking each other home. Yeah, right? we're all just trying yeah. to help each other out and then um, collectively do it. And uh, that, that's the best way we can, we can, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's the beauty and the magic of the journey. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, Paul, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I, I do want to ask you a last question. Um, yeah. If you could share or say one message to the entire world, what would it be? Love yourself and be gentle with yourself. Mm. Treat, treat yourself like you would treat your newborn baby. I love with, that. With respect, with compassion, with patience, with joy, with nurturing. And, and then when you can do that, allow that by extension to be the love and, and the way that you treat the world around you. You know? When, when you when you learn to, to be your own best friend and to love yourself unconditionally, then we must love the world and we must be there and support those around us, you know. And, and like you just said, you know, let's let's walk each other home. Yep. Like let's support each other. You know, when, when someone falls down, lift them up. That's right. That's right. Lift them up. Or sometimes if you have to, sit down with them oh yeah oh that's that's beautiful i'm glad you said that that's yeah, yeah that's that's amazing sometimes yeah a lot of times we think we got to pick them up and hey get back up man let's go yeah. but really it's like let's just 
let's sit and cry together. Let's, yeah. Let me put my arm around you and let's just be upset for a little bit. You know, let's feel. And, let's just feel for a bit, and then after you feel those emotions, you can move on. Be, be, exactly. Be willing to feel with someone else. Yeah. Like, don't um, don't don't hide from that. And if they're suffering, just be willing to suffer with them because yes. to love is to suffer. That's right. You, 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 they're not mutually exclusive. Right. You know, and so by loving someone, sometimes that means hurting with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's always important that we don't make that about ourselves and, and us right. feeling uncomfortable with our vulnerability as they're feeling right. vulnerable. In, in a men's circle um, that I did a month or two back online, um, one, of, one of the rules in that men's circle was, I will not try to comfort a man who is being vulnerable and experiencing his emotions. I will bear witness to it and only offer what is asked, which was really powerful for me to learn because, um, you know, if I see someone in pain, then I would sit with them, yes, and I would hug them and I would try to comfort them. And, and unintentionally, um, in a way, I was smart, that would smother their experience. Sure, sure. So sometimes it is to sit back and to bear witness for that and be like, I am here to witness your pain. I am here to witness your hurt. I'm not here to tell you to stop. Like you feel what you need to and I'm here. And then if you need a hug, I will give you a hug. Mm. But I will not impose my hug on you while you need to be vulnerable in that space. Mm. And I think that's so important to, yeah, it was a really big lesson for me in that that moment reading that was like, ah, of Mm. course. Yeah. When I'm in that state, I actually don't like to be touched. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. That's that's amazing. Well, Paul, yeah. thank you so much for for joining me for for being on my podcast, for being vulnerable, for telling your story. Um, it's it's an amazing story, man. I I think this is a, a huge transformation in your life. Obviously, you know that more than I do, and uh, I'm so happy for you and your future with with your future wife, right? Because you're engaged right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy for you and for her and for your kids, man. And um, keep it up, man. Keep keep the the positivity going, and keep that uh, that love and that 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 light, man. I, I, uh, I, I, I I'm proud of you for going through all that and for getting through it. And that can be difficult, man. And and you've you've done it. You're here yeah. now, and and now you just got to keep keep at it, keep working, and um, it's it's a never ending journey that we have to keep on healing and learning and sometimes we, we're going to fall down again i mean we got to get back up and um but yeah so i i'm 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 really proud of you well i, I appreciate that and i also appreciate the um the opportunity to be able to share that that vulnerability with other people and you know yeah thank I'm, you i'm sure there's going to be people who hear this who who needed to hear it and Definitely. And this is the point of us, again, going back to that statement, this is the point of us walking each other home. That's right. You know, this is what we need to hear at the right time. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Beautiful, man. Awesome, man. Well, Paul, we have to stay uh, stay in touch and talk yeah, again definitely. sometime, man. It's great to yeah. meet you and uh, great to talk with you, man. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. All right. Awesome. Great chatting. You have a, enjoy the rest of your night. Likewise, man. Thank you so much. Take care. See you later. All righty. Bye. Bye.